0: Welcome to the X-Men Task Podcast. My name is Willie Simpson. My name is Sonya Rappaport. Sonya, we are in Season 2 of X-Men Evolution in the third episode, an episode called Power Surge. Uh, before we talk about that episode, uh, let's get the plugs out of the way. Follow me on Twitter at Willie Simpson. Join the X-Men Task Podcast Facebook group uh, where you could talk to us and rate and review us five stars on iTunes if you please. Um, before we talk about this week's episode, um, let's talk about some stuff we've been consuming some media in this week uh just to give everyone an update on our quarantined lives Mm -hmm. um one show we we checked out on netflix queen's gambit
1: yeah so far very good
0: yeah we're about halfway through right i guess uh so that show it's about a fictional women's chess champion from the 1960s and i think the whole thing it's based off a book uh, I think it's a limited miniseries for Netflix. I think it's um, it's basically a Bobby Fischer allegory, you know, like a troubled American chess prodigy in the 1960s who has to overcome her own sort of demons and herself to prove to the world she's the best at chess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if you like classic... American chess movie and media and stories. I think this one is really good. I mean, like, I just remember as a kid seeing Searching for Bobby Fischer, which was that dopey melodrama about a a young boy who was a chess prodigy. And, and, you know, the trials and travails of all that. And then also just, like, all the Bobby Fischer documentaries. I think even Tobey Maguire had a Bobby Fischer movie. And Bobby Fischer is a really fascinating guy. I mean, he obviously his life, he ended up being sort of a nutcase um, and a recluse in life and like a really like sort of like had like a lot of vile anti-Semitic and like insane conspiracy theories which is all the more weird because he himself was Jewish but uh, you know like just I, it was part of like some kind of bizarre mental illness he had more than anything um, but so I don't know though my point is like I'm kind of a sucker for chess movies <laughs> <laughs> I mean I'm not good at chess. I t- I was in chess club in summer camp which is about as lame as a sentence you could possibly say, but I was never good at chess. I it was- just never could. I never could stare at the board like these characters do in these chess movies and uh imagine like all these amazing moves, 50 moves in advance and uh, have like Well,
1: some- they also study like a lot, you know. Like I yeah. liked playing it as a game when I was a kid and yeah. like up through middle school, I guess, and at the point where I realized that, like, to actually really be good, you have to, like, read books about it and learn the plays, you know? There's, like certain techniques the sicilian
0: defense is a big one in this show
1: right yeah and there's like a million of them for the openings and for like the end games and stuff like that and the point that i realized that it was going to be that much effort to like really be good at it i was like okay never mind
0: yeah and there's some certain there's something kind of tragic about chess geniuses too especially the prodigies where a lot of them do go insane and i think it's like something that's been documented throughout history I read some article about it at some point, and I think even the the current chess prodigy guy who's now a young man, what's his name, like, Magnus or something? Magnus Carlson? Mm -hmm. He talked about that in an interview once, too. He says, well, I'm worried I'm going to go insane one day because I'm, like, the world's greatest (laughs) chess genius, and it seems to happen to all of them. So uh, it's just like, like I said, I'm a sucker for chess movies. I mean, they're definitely... they're, they're, They're pretty much set up like sport movies in a way, too, where you know it's like but it, it's like a it's a cerebral sport right and it's about two people sitting down and you see their colossal minds uh in close proximity to each other and, and the strain looks on their faces and the moments of inspiration and of defeat like whatever it is it's just fun and the queen's gambit uh i think it's pretty well done you know um
1: it also has a lot of style you know yeah a they lot the of the 1960s well
0: 60s style it's pretty cool um pretty like the characters are really offbeat and weird Mm -hmm. so uh fully recommend that the other netflix show we watched is blood of zeus
1: Mm. yeah that one i don't
0: think i'm gonna recommend necessarily i'd recommend it yeah it's okay i think it's good i think like it's it's a it's a netflix anime or that's how it's advertised as i mean it is an anime of sorts Mm -hmm. uh but it's about it's just it's like your ancient greece setting uh, and you all the Greek gods are characters, and I
1: like having the ancient Greek setting, and I like the Greek gods as characters, mm-hmm. but then they take it into like a weird place where they make all these worlds of like demons and stuff that aren't part of Greek mythology, and they kind of like blend it together.
0: Probably not. I mean, Greek mythology is so uh, like um it's so much like a labyrinth of weird stuff. Uh-huh. That, I mean, there's all sorts of folk legends and, like, like what counts as, like, actually being part of Greek mythology, what's made up bullshit. So, I mean, who really knows, right? Like, but. Oh, you
1: think it is part of Greek mythology? No, not like this story. This and sto-
0: stuff? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think there's probably demons in Greek mythology.
1: But it's, like, a whole, like. Yeah. Uh,
0: I know what you're saying. I mean, the show is, it's like, the show even says that at the beginning that this is like, there were tales that were lost from ancient Greece, and this is one of them. Right. So they've made up some stuff. Like, I don't know what exactly is completely true to Greek mythology and what's not. The point is, like, I personally really enjoy me some Greek mythology. And, um, which sort of, and the show looks really uh, beautiful. I think it's beautifully animated. So for that alone, I think it is worth a watch. It, um, the story itself is kind of, like, standard, but...
1: I mean it's standard for Greek mythology I guess like if they made up this story they did like I guess a pretty good job of emulating the style because it has all those crazy twists and turns like Yeah
0: um, I mean honestly this is going to sound stupid but it reminds me of Star Wars which in itself was constructed the original Star Wars was constructed based on like, classic classic myths, be they from the Far East or from, you know, the Mediterranean, like, whatever it is. Like, George Lucas, like, mashed them together with right. these archetypes. So in this, this Blood of Zeus story, just, like, character setups and the hero's journey, it's all, like, Luke Skywalker and there's a Han Solo and there's a Princess Leia. I mean, they're all, like, there. There's even some lines that are actually felt, like, entirely ripped out of, like, I think there's one that was just, like, wait, this is a line exactly from The Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like a, a scene where a character is basically being Lando and like trying to apologize to the main character for betraying them to the bad guy, just like Lando betrays Princess Leia and Han Solo to Darth Vader. So, you know, point. Uh, I think, but the point of Blood of Zeus, which is weird for us, is we got a video game which we want to recommend this week as well too, called Hades.
1: Yes, Hades is incredible. <laughs> that one I will recommend.
0: Yeah, I mean, this game's been out for a few months. It's been in development for several years. I th- It's one of these indie games where I think, like, if you were on the ground floor of it, they would have let you play certain levels as they balanced it out and perfected it over time. But, we, you know, we just discovered it in the past couple of weeks, and uh, we have been playing the full complete version. It's only $25 on Steam. It's also on Nintendo Switch, too. I don't know if it's on PlayStation or Xbox. It might be in there, you know respective stores uh but uh what a fun great game and if you do like greek mythology this is i think like it's better than blood of zeus first of all
1: yeah the story is better and also the art design is better i think
0: yes uh it's one of the greatest video games i've ever played and i'm not saying that (laughs) as to to be like dramatic just i i mean from the standpoint of there's something very meta about it So I'll give you the rough summary of the plot um, to see if you're interested out there. You play Zagreus, who is the son of Hades. So you yourself are a Greek god of sorts. I'm not sure what Zagreus was the Greek god of exactly. It's not fully explained in the game. Um, But the the point is, like, you're sick of living in Hades under your father's thumb. And you want to escape the underworld to get to the surface and, uh, you know... Like meet your cousins and uncles and stuff, like Zeus, Poseidon, Artemis, like whoever, right? And the thing is, you've got to tra- uh, travail through like the three uh, uh, zones of the underworld, and it gets progressively more difficult. Uh, but the thing is, if you die, you have to go start right back from the very beginning, right back from your personal room. It, and- it's
1: not if you die, it's when you die. Right. <laughs> the game is designed that you die over and over again and yeah. start over from the right. beginning.
0: And and they must have recorded like 10 million lines of dialogue for all these characters you interact with because every time you die and you, then you talk to the characters in your home base and as you keep going forward, it's almost like it's always new dialogue. I don't think I've ever really even seen a repeat line of dialogue yet. And that's what makes it a lot of fun. It makes it incredibly engrossing because the, the characters are commenting on your continued struggle to escape Hades. And they're giving you tips and advice, and you have to do quests for them along the way. They're like, oh, next time you go out there, like, get me this. And then, of course, you die, and you're like, if you get it for them, it's like, great, you get to progress that little part of the story. Um, and uh, like Sonia said, it's just, like, an incredibly beautiful game. Uh, and the meta-ness is amazing, and um, it's almost like the game that answers the question what is uh mario's mental state after he <laughs> dies over and over again and has to run the gauntlet of the the mushroom kingdom like this game if you ever wondered about that this game tackles that in the most beautiful and satisfying way ever so hades full recommend that's like it's in a way i feel a little bit hesitant recommending it because it's so addictive you'll get sucked in so deeply.
1: The one thing I'll say is that we started it as a PC game with like the WASD keys to move around yeah. which give you like left, right, up, down axis, but the axis of movement in this game is at the diagonal at all times. And then <laughs> yeah. like after a week or something we finally just like plugged in a controller just to see like yeah. if it would work. And it did. I was like, "Oh, what fools we've been yeah, this it was whole time!" so
0: much easier. <laughs> a game changer. Uh, yeah, so but I mean, that's it's my like, tip
1: for anyone who's gonna try.
0: Yeah, but I mean, if you're working from home, if you're lucky enough to do that, like we are, if you just have time to kill, Hades is like the ultimate time killer. It's it's so engrossing, and, and the art
1: style, like we said, is just like so beautiful. It's right. like art nouveau mixed with anime or something.
0: And I don't think you really even need like a beefy 3d card i don't even think it's a 3d game i'm not entirely sure about that like you probably need some kind of computer graphics to run it um i mean i have a pretty good gaming pc myself but the, the point is it's like it's not it's not like some intensive 3d uh graphical wonderland like a red dead redemption you know where they've like rendered like 25 square miles of right desert. No, it's
1: like animation like right it's flat like
0: two, flat 2d style yeah. but it's beautiful it's really well done yeah So, Hades is great. It's been um, a welcome distraction from uh, all the, like, chaotic stuff going on in the world right now. I mean, the election is coming up. uh, You know, this episode will come out on Monday, the day before the U.S. election. So, things are a little
1: tense right now, to say the least, but, you know.
0: Hopefully a nice X-Men podcast or blasting through the underworld in Hades. Checking out some stuff on Netflix. Like, do what you can to distract yourself in these times. Yeah, totally. It's just it's one of those moments in your life where it's stuff that's out of your control. And you just, you wish to anything you had the power to, like, influence events. Mm. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things that's just, like, left in the hands of the fates. As, the <laughs> as all these Greek gods have been yelling at us for the past week. Um, so that's that. But let's jump into X-Men Evolution, Sonya. Mm-hmm. Um, this episode, Power Surge, strong title.
1: Yeah, not where I thought this episode was going with a title like that. I thought we were going to get, like, um, I don't know, some mutant with, like, electrical powers or something. <laughs> I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are a few, um...
1: But no. Um, this is a Jean episode, I'll just say. So, it, we open up with Jean, um, in the high school. She's winning the MVP award for the year, for the soccer season.
0: Looks like the soccer team won the championship.
1: Yeah, we saw that in the last episode, too. Yeah,
0: well they're really just going on about the soccer team. Well
1: the intramural sports are a big deal in high school, (laughs) I I guess.
0: That's true, especially if we have a winning team.
1: And everyone's clapping for her. She has to get up on stage and give an acceptance speech. But as she gets up there she's like trying to thank people and just involuntarily she starts hearing everyone's thoughts. She's like reading everyone's minds. And, like, Rogue is like, yeah, ride that popularity train. And someone else is like, come on already, get on with it. And, like, the internal monologue of everybody is getting more and more negative as she stands up (laughs) there sweating, and she just, like, can't take it. She starts, like, having a little, I don't know, manic episode or something Mm -hmm. where she, like, falls down to the ground, she's grabbing her head, and she's like, oh, gosh, I
0: can't. Let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a certain extent... To which we can read everyone's minds when we're walking out onto a big stage. No. But you know what I'm saying, though?
1: No, I think you imagine that you're right. reading everyone's yeah, but that, minds, but I, <laughs> I'm I don't think it's a reflection of reality. But I think that, like,
0: a show like this points out that the thoughts that most people have while you're up on stage as the center of attention, it's not too hard to figure out what people might be thinking, it's just this it's like three or four things that run through people's brains when they're watching someone on a stage. You're either nervous for the person, you're annoyed at the person, you're happy for the person, uh, you hope they don't screw up, you hope they do screw up. It's like it's like six things, like not people aren't like thinking like too uh, like off a beaten path, and to an extent, like I think as the performer. That's kind of in your head too. Like you have a sense of like this is an audience and you know what it's like to sit in an audience and you know about all the thoughts you've had in an audience and you know that uh, all the different people mm-hmm. and uh, that <laughs> this weird line of thinking ran through my head during the scene that I don't think you necessarily need to be a telepath to have to feel the 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 thoughts of an audience when you're off on a stage.
1: Well, it's like you're looking for approval or disapproval on the faces of the people in the audience, right? And you're hoping that it's approval. Yeah. But also, you're assuming a lot to say that you know what those people are thinking.
0: Right, but in a way, but but it's the world of presentation uh, is set up so that you, the performer, can manipulate the audience, and that you're trying to garner some kind of collective groupthink so that everyone's in unison you know what i mean mm-hmm. i think that's kind of interesting that the audience by its nature is primed to 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 be led and to be sort of influenced in some way uh and i just think that like while telepathy is not real, mm-hmm. <laughs> there are way there. It, there is a whole world of the unconscious in which we communicate to each other uh, as a society, mm-hmm. and there's methods that you know actors employ, musicians, speakers, politicians, whoever it might be, whoever gets on a stage, that are designed to tap into people's unconscious, and the the audience in turn responds. Unconsciously to uh, to like meld themselves into a groupthink environment as well.
1: Yeah, that's why people like those events in person. But right. That's why like now when you like live stream <laughs> your favorite musician or whatever, it's not the same as going to a concert and like feeling the energy of all the other people in there, right? Yeah. Like, yeah.
0: I mean, and that energy is so fascinating because it's there's you know good energy of like being at a sports game, uh, you know, it's just sort of like being on the wave of a euphoria if your team wins or like you said at a concert and just everyone enjoying the music and being in that moment. And also there's mob energy too, mm-hmm. which is something that the Simpsons so wonderfully explores in <laughs> yeah. episode after episode of. But the thing about mob energy uh, and mob violence is it's a real phenomenon that's fucked up and scary too that if you're out in the streets and a large group of people and crazy shit's going down, mm-hmm. like who's to like uh, people react in all sorts of crazy ways that they themselves may not have ever even expected. Mm-hmm. And I mean so much of the ruling class the history of the ruling class in the world, not I don't think so much in modern history, because things have changed, right? But was about controlling the mob. Mm-hmm. That if you were a king in some feudal society
1: <laughs> You didn't want the people to be storming the castle. <laughs> yeah, like
0: one of the like the, the most like challenging aspects of the job of the ruling people was to to make sure that a mob of angry People didn't rise up and do whatever, burn the city down, come to the castle, like right, like do whatever. Mm-hmm. And so much of the history too is about like, uh, like the French Revolution essentially started um, a lot of it out of mob like violence, discontent, whatever. And then, but a lot of that also was
1: that the king, the quote unquote right. performer in this scenario, yeah. <laughs> was out of touch with the feelings of all of those people. He was not using his. Right. Not even telepathy, but empathy to like look at the people and see what the vibe was. But this <laughs> in, isn't in just the room, a room right. country. <laughs>
0: yeah, but I mean, but then there's forces like greater than like maybe even if the king did all the right moves, uh, there's there's so- certain social and cultural forces where the the mob or whoever the the, the population decided no, we can't even have a king. So it, it's not just about like if only the king did a better job, we wouldn't have all this chaos. There's you know there's factors at play too that uh influence and create and ferment these things. Um, but I do find it all very interesting. And uh I just think that like the idea of of telepathy is um it's an it's an interesting human invention because it's born out of a fantasy of wanting to read people's minds, right? Mm-hmm. Um and then you know and it's played out in all these science fiction medias uh but essentially um it is a fantasy but I,
1: it's I, not my fantasy. That would be a nightmare. No, I'm saying I'm
0: not saying it's your fantasy. No, no, I know. I'm just right. saying
1: that like there's another side to the coin, right? And well, they show it here with Gene. Yeah. But I think it's like we all influence each other so much on a social yeah. level and like an empathic level mm-hmm. that if you had to read everybody's minds all the time, I think it would be horrible.
0: I mean, the point I'm trying to drive at here is I almost think it's irrelevant. I don't think telepathy needs to exist for it to actually, for the elements of it to be in play. mm -hmm. I think that we do unconsciously influence each other and manipulate each other and can read people's minds without them even knowing because people are more predictable than um, we imagine them to be, maybe but not on an individual about, basis, but on a group basis. But I don't you know? think it's
1: about predictability or like mm-hmm. assuming exactly what someone is thinking. It's that they give you signs. They show it on their face or yeah. in their actions, yeah. their body language, or what yeah. they say and do. Like, yeah, that's, that's true. That's not telepathy. That's it, just like I reading it social te- cues. I think
0: it is. I think I think like okay, te- telepathy is like a magical uh, like beam that it goes into people's minds and you could hear what they're saying. Right? Okay. That's, like, the science fiction, like, definition of it. Mm-hmm. But I think, ultimately, even human language speaking is a form of telepathy. Because what we're really doing is we're vibrating our our uh, vocal cords uh, in the air and making all these complex sounds and arranged in such an organized way so that people can understand with their brains what these vibrations means and then their brains interpret it, obviously, in real time. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So, but it, it's, like... Like, the human race, its form of telepathy is talking. And writing. And writing, right. Like, right, and using other sorts of, like, uh, imagistic sym- uh, s- symbology or whatever it might be. Like, there's many ways to do it. But, like, the thing is, like, in so much science fiction, it's like an alien race comes down and they communicate with their brains. But it's, it's essentially, talking is almost the same thing as communicating with your brains, just out loud and... anyone can hear it it's not you can't do it privately like that's kind of the 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 um the the other sort of fantasy element about telepathy too that it's like a private silent communication without having to uh emote your face or or you know vibrate your vocal cords so but the point is like i said that in in a way uh if you were to step back and look at humans uh we do you know practice a form of telepathy it's not perfect but it, it it is in a way, it's so effective that we all can understand each other more or less. Uh-huh. And that, like, incredibly complex thoughts can be communicated from brain to brain.
1: Okay, I'll accept your thesis. Yeah. Telepathy is real.
0: And, yeah, right. And this is, <laughs> like I said, I'm going off on this tangent here, but it's just something I've thought about for years and years. I mean, obviously just consuming thousands of X-Men comics and other movies and TV shows where telepathy is just, like, a major... Uh, you know, aspect of, of the show or something. The it,
1: difference is that Gene yeah. also has telekinesis,
0: which yeah. often
1: goes with telepathy and it is dangerous. <laughs>
0: <laughs> What's more of a believable power? Telepathy or telekinesis?
1: In, like, the superhero superpower kind of way? Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, just in the way it's like, could this ever, ever possibly happen? Could it ever evolve to exist in reality?
1: I think... Uh, telepathy yes. is more believable than telekinesis Me because too. they have scientists have developed things that are like, um, you know, like for Stephen Hawking or people that mm-hmm. have like various disabilities, right? Don't they have something where they can?
0: Well, they're working on things now, even where they're trying to implant microchips in people's brains and seeing if they could, I don't know, like, like interpret the brain signals to communicate to people or communicate. But then,
1: like, is how far does that science fiction part of it go? Like, right. can then. If you have that device, is there gonna be a day where instead of just broadcasting it like for all in a stone's throat to hear, you'll actually be able to direct it privately just to one person? I mean like,
0: like I think what the reality is is that we're just one day the human race is gonna live on the internet, right? That we'll all have the microchips in our heads and we'll be able to just sort of <laughs> traverse cyberspace. Um, yeah. Or like, or be our consciousnesses will be uploaded into a hard drive somewhere. Like that'll be the, the, the end game. And, <laughs> and many people like talk about, I mean, that's like a lot of futurists like theorize that stuff about the singularity where we're all just kind of, we transcend the limitations of the physical body and our brains are transplanted totally onto computers and mm. But you're right. I think telepathy is the thing that's most plausible. Whereas telekinesis, I think, like when you're a little kid, you you spend an afternoon or two in your life at some point staring at a tennis ball on the floor and trying to move it with your mind.
1: Usually, after you've seen Star Wars, you're like, maybe right. I have the force. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, remember like summers, like in after sixth grade, or like watching a, a VHS of Empire Strikes Back, looking at a baseball laying in, in the family room where the TV was, and just trying to push it with my mind.
1: Right. Maybe if I believe it enough,
0: yeah, like the Force maybe,
1: will be strong with maybe me. Maybe
0: I'm the one with the power. Right. So much of the <laughs> content, I mean, uh, just stories directed at children and young adults, whatever, it's just, it's about, like, maybe you're the one that actually does have magic. Right. Like, out of the billions. Um, but I think the thing about telekinesis that seems so implausible is that, like, so what's the idea? You're staring at an object in the physical world with your eyeballs. You know obviously it's an image first of all interpreted by your brain anyway. It's not like what you're actually seeing is is there in the way you're seeing it, as far as that is to believe and you're trying to you're trying to take an object you see in this this image being streamed to your brain in real time, separate it from the other images you see you know uh the wall, the floor, and move that one thing with your head right mm hmm um I think the point is like if you're if it's all based on what you see and like what you move, there's no way you would be able to interact with specific objects. It'd almost be like you'd have to it's like it'd be like sticking your hand into a bucket of paint and swirling it all. Um or if like there was a painting that was all wet paint and you tried to move one thing with your hand and you put your hand like you wanted to move one character in the painting over, you'd be smearing the whole painting. Okay. You know, what, so that's what I'm saying. <laughs> There'd be no way to differentiate objects. Uh, telekinesis is bullshit. That's, that's my entire point about telekinesis. You'd
1: need, like, one of those mutant powers where you can manipulate gravity in specific places. Yeah.
0: Oh, there you go. All right. I love that explanation. <laughs> that, that makes so much more sense. I, I'm just, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just seeing it's like saying. you pick out something from your field of vision and then, like, somehow you can move that. Uh-huh. You know, your field of vision is not, like,. You're right. It doesn't represent the gravity of the physical space in in the material world. Uhhuh. So, um that alone makes like telekinesis way more of like a fantastical
1: Also, that's a power I would actually want. Right, yeah, I know?
0: agree too. Yeah. But <laughs>
1: <laughs> telepathy, like not so much, but
0: Yeah, telepathy seems a bit like you would go totally insane.
1: Yeah. And well, Gene does go totally insane, yeah, like, and, often. <laughs>
0: right, often, yeah. All the telepaths do at some point. They, yeah. it, it doesn't seem Maybe like... Maybe they're
1: chess champions.
0: I mean, there's there's times where telepathy in the X-Men world is fun. I remember, uh, I think it might have even been from one of the Joss Whedon X-Men comics, where they're having, like, a bumpy space landing. They're in some kind of rocket ship, the X-Men. Uh-huh. And it's it's, like, horrible... You know, like, uh, like, as you see, like, I'm not an astronaut, but you get the idea that going through a space launch as an astronaut is incredibly shitty. Mm-hmm. Just like the vertigo, the, the G inertia, force. The, yeah, the G-force. But Emma, Emma Frost, she transports the X-Men into a quiet, like, mental place, like a tea room where they can all relax comfortably. Mm-hmm. And there someone's, like, fanning them with, like, a pond leaf. <laughs> and she's like, oh, that's so much better than actually being in the real world. Mm-hmm. Like, that would be a good use of telepathy. But, like you said, like, so much of telepathy is just, like, mind-bending, psychedelic horror of, you know, like, uh, delving into, into like, the deep, like, nightmare zones of people's subconscious mm-hmm. that um, it wouldn't seem like fun.
1: No, it does not seem like that fun.
0: Right. So, I think with the point of this whole insane conversation is to... It's like... This is why, to me, the X-Men is fun. Because you got a character like Jean Grey and this is the stuff that they try to say she's plausibly dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And uh that's interesting.
1: Mhm.
0: You know, like how would a young teenager who had the powers of telepathy and telekinesis how could they manage it? How could they control it? How would it influence their life? And um and that alone is like it's sort of like endlessly fascinating. Mm. So, uh that's been a long tangent. So let's let's talk about what actually happens in this episode.
1: <laughs> All right. So, uh she've is grasping her head, falls to the floor. Um, her statue, the award that she was accepting, falls to the ground and the head breaks off. Mm-hmm. And then she kind of like regains her composure. The voices stop coming. She stands up. She's just looking at like the silent audience and she makes like a joke and thanks who she needs to thank and like gets on with it and everything's fine. And then uh, we cut to Avalanche Uh, saying to Kitty, like, oh, I'll walk you to chemistry class. This is weird, because they have fought mutant battles against each other many times. (laughs) Many
0: times. Almost every episode, nearly every episode has involved the X-Men fighting the Brotherhood of Mutants.
1: But now they're friends?
0: Yeah, now they're just casually... I mean, and they they established that in the introduction of Kitty and Avalanche, I think it was in the same episode, that they're, like, sort of interested in each other, although at the end, Avalanche tries to kill Kitty... And that's what makes her join the X-Men and him to become a a rogue evil mutant.
1: And then he becomes interested in Boom Boom, who's now living at his house. Yeah. But we don't see her again, so that doesn't exist.
0: So I I did like this (laughs) twist, though, that Kitty and Avalanche are, you know, I'm an X-Man and you're a bad guy, but we have to go to school together every day.
1: (laughs) I mean, in a way, there were aspects to school that were like that, I think. Yeah. When I think back to my high school experience and just like... You know, you had your friends that you'd, like, hang around with. But then you'd have classes with all kinds of other people. And you'd just be, like, in situations with other kids that weren't necessarily, like, your friends that you hang out with on the weekend. But you need to interact for whatever reason. Yeah. Like, you're just... Your sphere of people that you're talking to all the time is, like, so wide.
0: That's kind of the... You know, like, high school sucks. And it's an experience, like, a lot of us as you get older forget. But it is one of the the better aspects of high school is the variety of people uh, that you otherwise later in your life you're not going to be interacting with as much. I mean, I guess it depends on your type of job. Mm -hmm. But in general, in high school, you really do interact with a lot of people you don't like or wouldn't want to be with. But just because of all the forced close proximity, over time, you do form friendships or bonds with people uh, that you never expect. And that just sort of, I feel like, at least in my life experience, it melts away over time and you get less of that you know
1: yeah that's true
0: and uh and then a lot of times you get, you can get nostalgic for that too it's like i feel like i used to have so many more friends what happened to everybody <laughs> right <laughs> and um so it's just like an interesting sort of phenomenon of of being a young person and and just sort of making your way in the world and a lot of it is painful and awkward and embarrassing but there is definitely something good about uh just like being exposed to to people you otherwise normally wouldn't.
1: Mhm. Yeah. And so I mean, I don't know. My first instinct with this avalanche and Kitty conversation was like that's weird. Yeah. But
0: it does make... it's a it's touch kind of, of nice, realism. It's a t- it's a touch of realism. <laughs> it really is.
1: Um then we cut back to the inside of the auditorium, Jean's kind of like sitting on the stairs up to the stage Like recovering basically, (laughs) and Scott goes over just to basically see if she's all right, you know. And he's like, "Don't worry, everything's fine," you know. And she's like, "All right, I'll see you at Duncan's party later." Come to find out, he was not invited. Yeah. So Jean invites him. She's like, "All right, well, you know, be there for me to like support
0: me." It's just kind of amazing how Cyclops is been relegated to the ducky uh, role. In this that world. he's not like a cool guy. No, it's so <laughs> weird. I mean, it's not that Cyclops is ever cool, but the uh, it's the, he's handsome and he's strong and he's tough and powerful, uh, and he's smart. And the fact that he's just he's been relegated to third wheel status in this gene relationship is interesting to me.
1: I know that you've always really identified with Cyclops <laughs> because of your glasses. <laughs> Does this upset you that he's been relegated to a? Do you take it personally no no not
0: at all i mean i the the, me relating to cyclops stopped at his glasses beyond that i had like nothing in common with him i was not like handsome growing up um i was not strong or an athlete or a leader of men whatever it might be i was just i I had glasses and were you a rule follower i i um i was just like a normal kid when it came to the rules I, i definitely didn't I wasn't, like, a bad kid who really pushed the line. Mm. And by that, I mean, like, kids who did borderline illegal stuff, of which I was friends with uh, a lot of those kids, too. But myself, I was probably too much of, like, a chicken to, like, really, like, go crazy and, you know, like, court the attention of the police, so to say. Like, with your everyday sort of teenage antics. So I was never, like, I never pushed it that far. But I was—I wouldn't say I was like a strict rule follower either.
1: But did laser beams shoot out of your eyeballs when you took your glasses
0: off? <laughs> I wish they did. <laughs> I really wish I did. I i, I wish when I took my eyeglasses off that laser beams would come out and I, I'd stare at my hands and I wish the claws would pop out too. You know, like that was definitely in my brain as a 12 year old.
1: So, if Scott stares at his own hands with his glasses off, does he like, laser his hands no, off? No, I
0: think he's technically immune he's to his immune own to power. His own. Yeah, like mm-hmm. there are scenes where he's. You've seen him in various animated media uh, and other comics too where he puts his hands over his eyes and the beams are just. They just shoot around the hands. Oh, uh,
1: that's true, that's true. They yeah. sort of like spiral
0: out, you know?
1: Yeah. Is um, his brother immune? To his...
0: Yeah, technically, yeah. So they're that, immune
1: to each other's powers, Yeah, right? that's
0: one of those weird quirks of the Marvel Universe that's not entirely consistent. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, like, the other famous examples, Black Tom and Banshee seem to be immune to each other's powers, too. Right, I don't know yeah. if there's other we talked ca- We've talked about this before. Like, yeah. are there other ones, too, where they're immune to each other, but...
1: Family members and yeah. stuff. Yeah, I, I do like
0: that as a quirk of the... That's nothing... As a writer, like, as a potential writer, which I'm not, but uh, that's not something that would occur to me when I, if I was writing an X-Men comic... Oh, uh, that the brothers would be immune to each other's powers. I yeah, find but I like that, it, though. It's yeah, cool. I find that very creative. That's yeah. just, like, such a weird, crooky idea.
1: Mm. Well, anyway, um, Gene invites Scott to Duncan's party. Then we see Kitty and Avalanche in their chemistry class. They arrived. They're kind of just, like, talking to each other, having a nice time. And their chemistry teacher comes in and introduces himself as Mr. McCoy.
0: Yeah. So here's Hank, finally.
1: Yeah, I was real happy to see him. He's not blue. He just looks <laughs> like a
0: human. Not yet. I, I, so I'll spoil it. A large I mean, human. I looked at the next, <laughs> on Disney Plus, you see the next uh, screen grab, yeah. and it shows Blue Beast in I like, some kind of agony. get that soon, yeah. So it looks but, like Mr. McCoy's going to do some kind of experiment on himself or something's going to happen to him. <laughs> right. But yeah, but here he is. Here is like non-Blue Beast.
1: And he's like the cool chemistry teacher. He's like, all right, today we're making stink bombs. And the whole class is like real <laughs> happy with him. Yeah. Uh, Then we go back to the um, mutant kids at the mansion. Um, I guess it's after school. Scott's getting ready to go uh, to the party, to Duncan's party. And we see a few mutants that haven't really been introduced as characters yet. Who is it that turns... It's like a girl that turns into a yeah. wolf or a dog or something? So, I
0: don't know for sure. It's... I'm sure it's, you know, obviously very easy. We could look it up, but we're not going to waste the time. <laughs> we'll waste fun. time talking
1: about it it's instead. It's more fun if you
0: tell us on Twitter or on Facebook or we just discover later. But I think the, the character... It's either Wolfsbane or Feral.
1: Yeah.
0: If I had to guess... Um, or maybe she's neither of those characters. She just could be something they created on nowhere. But I think she would be one of those two. It's
1: pretty cool. It's like a werewolf ability, and, except not gruesome.
0: Yeah, I'm like trying to remember off my Marvel training cards as a kid, uh, you know, because that's where I remember all these characters from anyway. Mm. Um, so it's it's one of those two for sure.
1: Um, and then Scott gets outside, and oh, Ice
0: I, oh yeah, oh. going sorry. Yeah,
1: Ice Man is standing out there making like a little uh, ice ballerina sculpture. <laughs> we think it's Jubilee that he's talking to. It, it but looks we're not like sure. it, it looks
0: like a, an Asian uh, teenage girl, and In she's a yellow wearing coat. She's wearing yellow coat. So I mean, if it's not Jubilee, who is it?
1: I don't know. We don't see her powers, but right. probably Ice Man and Jubilee. Yeah. Um, but Scott's just having like a real hard time getting out the door. Calamity after calamity, he's being tripped by accident. He falls down. It's like he's having a, a rough time. Yeah, he's
0: become the nerdy ducky guy, which is so not really his character type. Yeah. Um, I just want to go back to Jubilee real quick. Sure. Um, you know, we obviously talked about Jubilee a lot when we ran through the original series, and I think like, where did we come down in Jubilee? Do we do we love her? Did we hate her? I think we we're like she's kind of annoying just based on.
1: Well, in the beginning, like when she's introduced, she's 14 years old, right?
0: Right. Or 13. Or
1: 13. And there's just a lot of dialogue in the original series around that's not fair. They don't let me do anything. Like she really complains a lot. And maybe that connects a lot with the kid audience at home Mm -hmm. also feeling like they're not allowed to do stuff. And because, you know, your parents control your life when you're a kid because, you know, they got (laughs) to look out for you. So there's a lot of that, which as an adult watching it, I just found kind of like whiny, and I don't know if coming from her yeah, in those situations I, I don't think because we were. like it would be like legit dangerous situations, and she'd be like, "Why can't I?" You know, it's just like relax, you know.
0: Yeah, I don't <laughs> think we were in love with Jubilee on our last run through of the show, but I, I think like I think Jubilee deserves her time in the sun. Yeah, I think that Jubilee is a great character. Uh, I know people make fun of her powers; so she shoots fireworks, but I mean. I don't see anything wrong with that. There's tons of weird powers out there. I mean, now she's like a vampire or something in the comics. Oh, like, that's weird. It's, yeah, I know. But, uh, <laughs> but my point is like... She teamed up with Morbius or what? I don't know. Also I'm person? sure there's a whole crazy story I'm about sure it. I'm sure there is. But I, my point about Jubilee is that, uh, I, think that there's, I think the world's ready for a, a serious... Look at Jubilee. (laughs) Well, not serious, but you know what I mean. Like, like in a movie as a main character.
1: The thing is, I like like a a, a real take on
0: her. Like other
1: than like the being too young and complaining about it sort of thing, I think like she's got a lot
0: of when she's the orphan runaway playing like blowing up the video games in the arcade and putting down her pink shade. She's actually really cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The X Men kind of make her a little bit lame by forcing her to follow the rules and stuff, and, and to be a goody two shoes. Mm. But you know, Jubilee's got a lot of heart, and uh, but I, I do think like you know they kept they kept teasing Jubilee in the movies. Uh, I think in the first X Men movie, there's like a cut scene where you see Jubilee for a second. Mm-hmm. She pops up in a few of the other Brian Singer ones. Uh, she got her most play in X Men Apocalypse. Where you know Jubilee was flat out of character, but she had right. like four lines in the whole movie and a lot of it was cut but if you look up those deleted scenes, that actress was really um she was really great as Jubilee. She was, like, a lot of fun, I thought, anyway. And I was, I was annoyed that they actually cut those scenes with her. Mm. Um, and she wasn't even... Even with those scenes restored, She's not wasn't even a real character in that movie, too. She was just basically, like, a very, very side character. Mm-hmm. She wasn't there fighting with the X-Men, you know, blasting fireworks at Sentinels. Yeah. Or, or Apocalypse, in that case. Uh, but the, my point is, like, like I'm ready for uh, Jubilee's... Uh, <laughs> a starring role for Jubilee.
1: I mean, she is, she's a superhero. She's brave. Like, she doesn't yeah. care that her power is fireworks. She'll go after those sentinels or whoever. And she's you know like, what? let me add them. Her fucking cool. look is
0: iconic. <laughs> yeah, that's she, true. I, I mean. Her costume is cool. Her costume is awesome. Like, yellow trench coat, or maybe it's like a, ra- is it like a raincoat?
1: I think it's a ra- I don't know. It always looked shiny in the X-Men it animated looks shi- series. But, who knows? but like, who knows? Either way. You
0: could play it either way. You know, her pink vest that she wears, her blue shorts, and her, her pink, sunglasses shades, yeah. that are really cool to me i mean i just think the whole thing works and uh you know i i want to see jubilee unleashed in in a future mce movie i'd be very happy to see it <laughs> um so look, put us on hashtag uh bring like uh, let jubilee shine <laughs> <laughs> and i love her name too jubilation lee i think that's a great name as well She definitely had hippie parents, but...
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's cool, though.
0: Yeah, it's cool. Works for an X-Man, definitely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and they have to, you know, like, along the lines of Jubilee, they have to do Kitty Pride right as well, too. Mm. No offense to, uh, what's her name? That actress that portrayed her. I don't know. From Juno. Everyone knows who I'm talking about, obviously. Oh, Ellen Page. Yeah, Ellen Page. No offense to her. I think she tried, but I don't think the, the, the scripts gave that character anything to do that was good. So, uh, you know, like, Kitty Pride Jubilee, I'm all for it. Where were we with this episode? (laughs) Scott being a doofus trying to get to this party. So
1: he gets to the party. Rogue and her British friend, Risty. Yeah. Risty, Misty?
0: Yeah, who is Mystique, which we spoiled ourselves on and now you, the audience, if you haven't been...
1: (laughs) Sorry. Uh, I'm just
0: going to keep bringing it up because we did spoil it, so...
1: Yeah, so they're there, but, you know, shortly after Scott gets there, they end up leaving and, uh, you know... Rogue is just like, man, like where I'm from, I never would have been at a party with kids like these because they're all like the jocks and the sports kids.
0: Weird to see Rogue just throwing back a huge bottle of water as if she's been taking ecstasy or just drinking a lot? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe she has. No, there's no way, right? <laughs> no, she seems totally of clear mind. But when I see
0: a, like a teenager at a party drinking a large bottle of water angrily, I'm thinking that she's That's been, what you think of right, Drinking her drugs, something.
1: She's just mad. That's yeah. all. Um, and her friend is like, "Oh, really? You're going? Like, all right. I'll. I guess I'll come with you." But I think it's because you like Scott Summers. You have a crush on him, or something. Mm-hmm. And Rogue she gets like upset. She's like, "No way!" And she just like storms out of there. I'm
0: not into the whole Rogue has a crush on Cyclops aspect of the show.
1: Yeah, it becomes a bigger deal later. Yeah. So they're at the, now. Scott's at the party. Him and Duncan are having a real intense game of ping pong.
0: Like they're literally. It's like. Tom Hanks from Forrest Gump level of ping pong game they got going on. (laughs)
1: It's bouncing off other stuff. They're still getting it. Right,
0: they're it's, getting perfect shots. It's just, they're getting real aggressive, and
1: Jean doesn't like it. She's kind of in the middle of it, and at some point, she just stops the ball in midair with her mind. Also
0: stops the suspension of disbelief of, of disbelief of the entire premise of the show by doing that.
1: Yeah, right. They're all supposed to be keeping their powers under wraps, and, right, and she, there's tons of people around just looking at her, and no
0: one says anything. Right, there's four people standing behind her. They see her stop a ball in midair and grab it, and right, nobody says anything at all. So, so that's weird. That is weird. The show's inconsistent like that.
1: <laughs> and she says, all right, Duncan, we need to have a word. And they get into, like, a little bit of an altercation. She's like, you're being so rude. Like, you didn't even invite Scott to this party. Like, what the heck? And he's like, well, why did you invite him or something? And he's, like, grabbing her arms and stuff.
0: He's trying to manhandle her and and, and apologize by manhandling. I don't I don't know. But then she starts hearing everybody's
1: thoughts in the room again and you know, she has to like hold her head and she freaks out a little bit. She goes out to the balcony to get some fresh air. And Scott's out there feeling sad. And <laughs> but she's like freaking maybe, out maybe flailing should, around. Maybe
0: he should date Rogue. They're both they're both like a little emo. A little emo, yeah. Um
1: and he kind of startles her so she just like pushes her hands out and her powers like knock him over the side of the balcony.
0: Yeah, this is a, t- a huge twist moment where Jean uh, almost murders Scott. She uses her telekinesis to to shove him off a uh, like a four story balcony.
1: Luckily, there's a pool right underneath where he's going to land. But she also manages to catch him before he even touches the surface of the water. Yeah, with her mind. I but mean, but, but then when Duncan comes out
0: to see what's going on, she lets Scott go and he falls into the water. So she couldn't like safely hover him to dryness. Right. <laughs> and. Uh, so scott's embarrassed um she leaves the he leaves the party with gene he's soaking wet he's pissed at her and Jean is being completely uh like she doesn't want to take real responsibility for what's going on and or, or admit that she's having a problem with her powers
1: right so then we're the next day at the track and field tryouts at school well that
0: night i think is there a scene with the professor.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I skipped that, right? Yeah,
0: the professor sees them get home, and he wants to know what is going on, and he's he's like, oh, maybe you are having trouble with your powers. And she's like, no, I'm good. I'm just tired. He's like, all right, well. (laughs) This is a kind of a a lazy professor, in my opinion, with a lot of this stuff.
1: It's like he almost gets to, like, what we're all doing here, except not really. Yeah, he he's, always,
0: right, he always, like, <laughs> lets his foot off the gas pedal right when you think like, he's going to you know, finally-
1: Gene, like, I'm here to help you. That's what I'm here for, and it, actually, that's what you're here for, too, so, like let's do this thing. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: but he doesn't really like... I
0: like how you put that between them.
1: He doesn't really like push it any more than that. She's like, no, I'm fine. He's like, all right. And then he just kind of like rubs his brow
0: and yeah. like lets it go. I, I mean, I really... Uh, we've talked about this before, I'm, I'm sure, but I, I can't get over... If you've read the original X-Men comics, in the very first, maybe even in the first issue... Or it's in the first five issues. Professor X secretly thinks to himself how he loves Jean Grey. Mm. Like he has... A, and he's like, I can't do it. Not because she's too young. I think he just says because it'd be inappropriate because I'm her teacher or something. Yeah. And there's too much at stake. Mm. But he he does... He harbors an immense crush on his like 15 year old student Uh. and um and there's also like it's implied too i think that because they have a bond with their mental powers as well that that's why he thinks he belongs with gene Mm. and you know that is obviously not exactly canon that was just some like weird misogynistic like stanley jack kirby shit from the 60s when nobody like thought better about it and um but my point is, like, I, I've never been able to get that out of my head, though. In any subsequent Professor X gene interaction, be it in a future comic, or a cartoon, or a movie, mm-hmm. I just always think back to the original Professor X from the nineteen sixties, harboring a secret crush on Jean Grey, an inappropriate secret uh, yeah, crush. Yeah,
1: I'm glad they washed that out of all yeah. the subsequent versions. Of so their it's like when I'm
0: when I'm watching this scene where Professor X is like, "Jean, you have to relax and calm down. Right. Like, let He's me help like you in her bedroom." <laughs> yeah, it, right. It's like let me take you to your bedroom. I mean, they, that shit even comes up in in a. a Again, X-Men Apocalypse, the movie, I think there's a scene where Professor X rolls into Jean's bedroom and she's becoming the phoenix or something and mm-hmm. free, like melting paintings on the wall and he's like, you're all right, Jean. And trust me, I understand what you're going through. Kind of. There's something weird between those two characters.
1: I don't know. Um, oh, the other scandal that happened at that moment was Rogue had brought her friend Risty back to the mansion oh, yeah. without, like, clearing it with anybody first. And is that the next
0: day or is that that night? No, that
1: was that same night okay. before Jean and Professor X go upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and But, like, nobody knows who she is or that she's there, so they're all kind of, like, staring at her and then, like, a couple of them use their mutant powers without realizing that she's around, so now, like, the secret's out. Yeah, like, but Nightcrawler
0: has to quickly turn on his human watch. Wolverine,
1: like, grabs an apple with one of his claws. Well,
0: Wolverine's the one that fully breaks the illusion. Right. Um, I
1: well, mean, nothing really happens. It's like, Rogue says goodbye to her friend.
0: I th- Do they, like, imply that they explain to Risty that this is a school for mutants? That's kind of what it seems like the parting dialogue is between Rogue... They don't me. say
1: all that, though. They don't really explain, like, how this is gonna resolve.
0: It's left vague.
1: Like she, Risty just is like, it's all right, Rogue. I understand. Yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. That's but what she says. By I understand, it might be like I understand that you need to kick me out because you live with all these other people. It doesn't or, necessarily mean like I understand, I understand that you all are mutants <laughs> and I need to go. Right. I understand
0: <laughs> that there's a man who could spring metal claws from his hands. Like, is that what you understand? Because you witnessed that, Risty. But all, but then again, she's pretending because she's Mystique and she right. knows all these people anyway. So it's all a bunch of bullshit. And also, Professor X, come on, man, like. Your mental telepathy—you can't. You, you don't
1: wipe just the memories of like an entire football field, but you're not going to do it with this one person you don't that you're just so worried like, about.
0: Naturally, detect that this is Mystique.
1: Yes, I mean that's that, the better point. See, yes. it's like it's so much.
0: It was I think to the effect of the original show <sighs> was that like. I think Professor X would just always know if something was out of place. Right. It's instinctively, whether he wanted to... Even though he had a line in the original show, it's like, I choose not to read people's minds. I consider that an invasion of privacy. Mm -hmm. I still think that he wasn't an idiot.
1: I don't think it's, like...
0: Mystique couldn't infiltrate the X-Mansion and, like, him not...
1: Right, also, I don't think it's even a matter of him reading minds necessarily. It's more of, like, a Spider-Sense thing, okay, it's well, portrayed. Okay, all right, talk
0: about Spider-Sense. Wolverine smelling.
1: Right, that's who. That's,
0: like, he should have smelled her. I mean, so... Yeah. <laughs> 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 and that's, like, one of the classic lines from Mystique. Like, I forget if it's in the movie or the original cartoon. She calls him, you bloodhound, when Wolverine smells her out. Yeah. And I, think it must, I think that was the cartoon. She has that line, you bloodhound, or mm. something. Or that no that dreaded nose of yours um
1: you know you yeah, know uh,
0: well yeah uh
1: all right now we're up to the track and field tryouts up to the
0: track and field tryouts uh
1: scott and duncan again are very competitive with each other on all the running events and the pole vaulting and all the stuff <laughs> mr mccoy also is the track and field coach coincidentally yeah he sees Duncan push Scott. I think
0: Hank living his best life in this universe up to this point. You think so? Up to this point, yeah. I mean, As him a being high school teacher? High school teacher, relaxed, also coaching the track and field team. Okay. Doesn't seem to have much stress. The Beast we know in the other incarnations is very stressed out.
1: With all his scientific experiments, yeah, and,
0: and like political, could have like crazy
1: repercussions.
0: That and like high political stakes, and just being an X Man too, and like the tragedy of his physical appearance affecting his personal life. And
1: well, he'll get there.
0: Yeah, he'll get there. But you know what I'm saying, though? Like this is like this. Hank. He looks. He's like he's forty years old, and he's like had a relaxed life up to this point, sort of. <laughs> But well, then again, it, like, his, him being a high school teacher is way beneath his station of intelligence. hmm He is... No
1: offense, high school teachers.
0: I was just listening to some <laughs> other podcast. It might have been the Ringer Binge Mode podcast, which I, I guess I, like, like, moderately recommend. They're fun. I like Mallory Rubin and Jason Concepcion. They're the hosts of that. They do a very thorough job. So they just started doing the MCU. Right, they're going to do every MCU movie this month. Uh, every week they'll they'll talk about each movie, which uh, fascinates that's me. It's going
1: to take them more than a month.
0: Yeah, maybe a month and a half or something. But um, anyway, they were listing like smartest characters in the Marvel universe mm-hmm. from some list, and Hank McCoy is like six or seven on the list, mm-hmm. and that's a heavy hitting list with like. Mr. Mr. Fantastic, Fantastic, Tony Stark, the leader—you mm. know, like all these like ultra minds—and mm-hmm. to have Hank McCoy that high up is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. And that's always been a question I've had about Beast: is he naturally intelligent, or is it sort of like a byproduct of his mutant powers? Still unanswered. I, I think it is answered somewhere. I think the answer is that it's natural. I don't think it's related. Mm. I'm not entirely sure. I still, I just, I guess, I just don't know. So, someone please educate me as to is the Beast is his mutant power that he's so intelligent but the point about the beast is that uh his intelligence is so like mind like mind bendingly insane he can invent like i mean he built the blackbird right Mm -hmm. but even beyond that he like does insane like chemistry and he's like like an insanely analytical thinker uh, and philosoph- hes also a philosophical genius too, and appreciator appreciator of literature, as we all know, mm-hmm. like fine literature and philosophy and all these things. So Beast is on like another level of genius. I mean, I think like at some point it's implied that he's smarter than Professor X. I don't really know about that because Professor X is also some kind of genius too. Was he on that list? I don't remember. I don't think he was. I mean, maybe he. Was. I don't. Maybe I just wasn't. It didn't. It maybe it just didn't uh, pop out to me that Professor X was on the list either because it's like makes sense, or he just wasn't on the list. But having Hank that high up was kind of shocking to me. Mm. But, uh, I mean, he is, like, the X-Men scientist. And he's also the Avengers scientist, too. He, You know, he uh, Beast famously was on the Avengers for many years in the comic books. Mm-hmm. And he's friends with all those characters as well. See, that's the kind of thing, it's like, it's a bummer that they didn't have those stupid corporate universes merged. the Fox and the marvel disney one because beast is like has a proud history with the avengers and he would have been a fun character to have in those movies too i think Mm. and he's the bridge to the 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 avengers world to the x-men as well which is fascinating okay so where were we that's a that's a lot about beast here <laughs> he's the track and field coach that's <laughs> right <laughs> so the track and field coach
1: <laughs> well and the chemistry teacher maybe he yeah. just wants to help the youth
0: i think my America. theory is that he's you know like I mean? in on the professor x conspiracy because i think he, know, he knows right he knows that scott's mutant like it's implied scott loses his glasses in the race with duncan and and beast calmly comes up to him and he's like keep your eyes closed scott and he hands him his glasses carefully so, Beast knows what's... Up. I think he's here's a plant from Professor X. <laughs> That's my theory.
1: Okay, yeah. could be.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, Jean is also at the track and field tryouts, and she's not controlling her powers very well. She's having another one of these episodes where she just can't keep everything together for mm-hmm. some reason, and she starts sending, like, spears and shot put balls or something heavy, I don't know, yeah, hurtling around, ball, like, yeah. towards people, and... Uh, Like, Avalanche has to help some people dodge out of the way, Mm -hmm. and um, Scott goes over to help her because he realizes something is wrong, and she just passes out.
0: Right. They they rush Kitty. Oh, yeah. So, Jean's... (laughs) Is this the first time she's... I don't think it's the first time she's passed out in the show. I think we saw it in another episode in season one. Mm -hmm. But here, it's like a legitimate pass out. Um, But again, I guess a a weird touchstone of this character.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. So Scott and Kitty bring her home to the X-Mansion. Um, she's in Professor X's medical lab, I guess, and everything like bottles and syringes and all kinds of stuff is just swirling around her, getting thrown around.
0: Reminiscent of X-Men 3. Right. Well, well I actually got there before X-Men 3. This, mo- this show came out before then.
1: Professor X goes up to her and probes her mind, tries to get her to listen to him and calm down, but he just hears all the teenage voices in her head that she's been hearing from the kids on the soccer field and the kids in the auditorium, and she just throws him back. Everyone has to clear out of the room. It's too dangerous. Her powers are evolving too quickly for her to control it, is Professor X's explanation.
0: She's not quite going Phoenix mode. Which she shouldn't, because the phoenix is an alien entity that comes from outer space. It's not something that she manifests into herself. <laughs> right. um, but the point is, like, it's similar, because she's floating up in the sky, and, like, all the material objects in the room are flying around her violently, and, uh, you know, she can't be... She's almost like in an impenetrable shield of telekinetic power.
1: The X-Men are trying to brainstorm some way to help her or calm her down or something. Rogue volunteers to absorb some of her powers. Professor X at first says it's too dangerous. He says, well, we just need to get her mind to focus on something. And Scott's like, yeah, great. Rogue can absorb a little bit of that power, and then I'll be the thing that she focuses her mind on, which is like, <laughs> all right, Scott.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, well, yeah, he's so... There's something so desperate about his, his whole thing with Jean.
1: It's just weird that yeah. he...
0: A desperate and obsessive.
1: Like, but Professor X's Plan wasn't even mentioning that it should be a person he was right. saying some things so right, yeah. when he made that suggestion i felt like it was kind of out of left field but <laughs> anyway uh, the team assembles they get their outfits on they gather around gene <laughs> yeah they change into their outfits <laughs> just in case i don't like
0: that pop collar on kitty pride yeah. i'm gonna say it again it Looks so weird
1: it's her new style
0: yeah
1: and they're all I don't know.
0: Like they have to get, they venture into the room where all the stuff is flying around. There's they actually have to some, deflect pre- a bunch of that stuff. Yeah, some good animation, some good direction in the scene. Uh, looked nice, um, but then like the plan is to like, teleport Nightcrawler up to where Jean is, and and drop Rogue on her. But there's something wonky about the way they set it up. No.
1: <laughs> oh, wait, that was the plan? I think it, so. No, you said that should be the plan when we uh, were oh, watching it. <laughs> yeah, because Professor is like, all right, Rogue, now. And she has to struggle her way through this tornado of medical supplies <laughs> to
0: right, like, get up to Jean. Right, she's hanging on some wires from the ceiling. It's really hard. And you were like, why didn't they just get Nightcrawler to beam her in there real quick? Yeah, like just have yeah Nightcrawler teleport on top of Jean with Rogue and... Yeah. That's all they need to do is just get skin on skin there. But they wanted to show some struggle, For so Ro- Rogue, Rogue Using her power in a dramatic way.
1: Right, so she manages to absorb some of the power. She collapses on the floor next to Professor X and Cyclops, and Scott starts talking to Jean, like, trying to get her to calm down, like, listen to the sound of my voice, just focus on me, and Rogue is the one that starts talking with Jean's voice. Yeah, she's so got some of her that's power. kind of freaky.
0: The consciousness switched.
1: Right, so then... Scott has to start talking to Rogue to channel Jean,
0: Right. To calm Jean down. he's
1: like, I know you better than anyone else ever has or ever will or something like That's that. That's really... It's like quite a bold statement, quite Scott. Quite a
0: very bold statement. She, like,
1: she's dating Duncan Yeah, she's not even like, dating you. <laughs> also, your lives are going to be really long. You're only 17 or 16 or right. something. Very presumptuous. It does so, sort of work. Yeah, Jean's body, like, falls back down on the table. She wakes up. Scott runs over to her, just leaves Rogue in the dust. And <laughs> everything is going to be fine, apparently, because Professor X is going to work with Jean on a daily basis to so help her keep think? her Some powers like under
0: control. Light meditation or... Light mental p- Pilates, invasion. Pilates, yoga. Something. Something. We don't know what the entails, like, how he's going to work with Jean to control her powers. Right. He doesn't seem to really know what he's doing in general in the show, so... Yeah. I'm not entirely sure what his plan is. Right. Uh, I mean, in the original series, his plan would be to find the crazy character in Jean's brain and lock her away in a cement box.
1: <laughs> right. Maybe that's what he's doing. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> uh, Scott goes and talks to Rogue after the fact, and...
0: He throws her some pity.
1: He's like, wow, that was really great what you did, and she's like, nah, it, it was nothing. You know, Jean would have done the same for me, except the dialogue is a lot clunkier than that uh Then he goes out to talk to Jean in the yard or somewhere. Duncan has sent her a dozen roses with a card that he delivers to her, and
0: Jean thinks the, the flowers are from Scott. And at first, I did too. I was like, "Wow, that was bold to Scott. It's very romantic." <laughs> but no, it's from Duncan. And so, in a weird way, Scott is a bit cowardly in telling Jean how he feels. I mean, it seemed like he was working up the courage earlier in the season, but Jean just gave him no openings whatsoever. Every time he wanted to sit down with her at lunch or take her out on a date, she's always with Duncan.
1: Well, here she gives him a little bit, you know. She starts walking away. She's like, all right, thanks, Scott. She's like, yeah. you do know me better than anyone ever has or ever will. Yeah, <laughs> wow, like, that was all right, very
0: flirtatious. So
1: here we just... The end cap is the love triangle between Rogue right. and Scott and Jean.
0: Yeah, and again, I'm not thrilled with Rogue having a crush on Scott. I find that like not really. Uh, maybe I'm just too much of a traditionalist with these characters. I just, <laughs> it's too weird for me. Although, and then again, like there's a lot of there is a history of female characters in the world of the X-Men having irrational crushes on Scott Summers. Hmm. I mean, I most famously remember when I was a kid reading X-Men comics in the '90s, Psylocke tried to break up the marriage between Scott and Jean. Hmm. And Scott seems to have a thing for telepaths. That's, like, uh, something Emma later calls Scott out on, too. Mm-hmm. That he's attracted to women who could read his mind or something. But, um, we- yeah. So, um, would I, I mean, this wasn't my favorite episode, even though we obviously had a lot to talk about. Uh, I, I found, like, a lot of the characters to be more annoying.
1: Yeah, the dialogue just wasn't great. For a lot of the scenes, and
0: (sighs) it's a lot of tropey stuff. It's a lot of high school tropey, like you know the the high school party and the bully and you know the the loser guy that wants the hot girl. It was just all kind of you know the girl who like doesn't want to admit there's something wrong with her, like she's a drug addict. Uh, I mean, it was all just like very tropey things, but there were clever twists and turns and. I I do like the premise of... I have come around to the premise of the show, not the... There is still no stated premise of the show. We have no idea what these characters are doing or why they're assembled in any way. But uh, the overall premise of just, like, the X-Men in high school... Like, I like that as a genre... And I I'd like to see it better done by somebody else once
1: <laughs> I appreciated the idea of Jean getting an episode onto herself without yeah. it being a Phoenix saga, because she gets short shrift a lot of times. That's true. But I also realized it's, like, I'm having a hard time still, like, grasping onto what her personality really is, other than she has this debilitating weakness when it comes to using her telepathy.
0: I mean, her, her, her personality is that she's, like, a perfect teenage girl... Star athlete, super smart, brave, beautiful, mm-hmm. but, I mean, she's Jean Cray, so, therefore, her mutant powers vex her. Assume everything. Uh, yeah, so, it's not that interesting. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to think back. I mean, like, Jean's always had that problem a little bit. She was... Essentially a generic character when she started out, and it was Chris Claremont who made her interesting when he introduced the whole Phoenix plotline when the X-Men got rebooted in the 70s. Mm. But then again, it's like, the Phoenix story was a great story and interesting in and of itself. It wasn't, like, so much a reflection on the character of Jean Grey or her personality.
1: Like, the Phoenix could have happened to anybody?
0: Yeah, like, she was just, like, an everyday sort of, like, normal American young woman before the phoenix happened to her yeah and then she started to experience all the like insane emotions and things that the phoenix brought to her life but they didn't like i mean i don't know if like i, I mean obviously gene gray is a character that's existed in the comics for like half a century now so i'm sure there's been many plot lines where they like go deeper into what her personality is supposed to be but i don't really know um I do like the character, though. I mean, like, I, I guess it's, like, I, I like Jean Grey on a shallow level. <laughs> I, I like the way she's drawn. I like all her different costumes throughout the years. I like the Phoenix saga. But it, it does, it's not like, I don't like her in the way I like Kitty Pride where Kitty, like, actually has a personality they established. And mm-hmm. it's interesting. Like, I don't, I don't, maybe I'm just, I just missed it in the comics. Like, I don't know. So I just think that she is, in a way, she is similar to Cyclops because she's just kind of ordinary, right? And there's like not much there other than the fact that she's just like a, she's almost like a like a redhead Barbie, right? Yeah. And Scott's just like the like a Ken doll sunglasses, like that's what their personalities <laughs> basically are outside of the X Men, right? So I, I don't know, um, but you know, I, I love the name Jean Grey too. <laughs> so... Um, I, like I, That's why I've, like, always given a pass to Jean gray because never, like, this character's boring. I mean, I, I you know, I, I like all the details about the character. But I would, like, I'd be interested in, like, a more, like, a deeper dive into her personality kind of thing. Hmm. Um, I mean, that's all I got for this episode. Uh, Sonia, do you have any parting words or final thoughts for this episode before we go away? <laughs> no. All right. Let's go away. All right, let's go away. Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>